listen to me. That is not the Dale Cooper that I knew. Please tell me exactly what you mean. It isn't time passing or how he's changed or the way he looks. Something here. There's something that definitely isn't here. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch. From Idle Thumbs, I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. On this episode, we are talking about part seven of Twin Peaks The Return. Part seven was written by Mark Frost and David Lynch. It was directed by David Lynch, and it first aired on television on June 18th, 2017. On this episode, Uh Ben Horn finds something that was missing. Hawk and Truman discuss something that was missing. The police visit Cooper and Janie E. to let them know they found something that was missing. Diane interviews Bad Coop, sensing something is missing. Meanwhile, Andy investigates the hit and run, but his suspect goes missing. Lieutenant Knox shows up in Buckhorn, expecting to find her evidence missing, but she finds a body with its head missing. Bad Coop blackmails his way into going missing from federal prison, and Jean-Michel Renault is a definite Renault. <laughs> so that's what happened. That's, you're not wrong. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, before we get into plot, 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 which is also what this episode this was. This episode was definite plot. Um, any overall thoughts on this whole episode of Twin Peaks? Um, it was, it, I, I almost had whiplash after last week's episode from the sensation of so much stuff happening on this episode. It was, it, it felt tangibly different yeah. to watch. I also, at this point, I am fully, fully, fully in the camp of receiving this show as an 18-hour movie, not, mm-hmm. as, not as a television show. Yeah. The way that it's edited and structured and the, w- the kinds of things Lynch chooses to linger on, um, sort of details that by any account should be extraneous in a television show it really feels like stretching a movie out to this length and multiplying the length of everything in the movie to fit that. Yeah, because you there's choices in this. It's it's you you say that, and that's my my instinct too. At this point, although a lot of people, because David Lynch uses the phrase "18 hour movie," are just saying, "Oh, it's like an 18 hour movie." That's never a thing that exists unless you count no, other than like experimental no. art movies. I was or totally something. resistant. Yeah. to it for that reason. I also don't think that just because a director says something yeah. that you should take it, th- that you well, should have a, a credulous attitude to it. Also, an 18-hour movie doesn't exist regardless of what David what David Lynch says. Like, would you... That's never been a thing that anyone has tried to do, I don't think. No, An 18-hour no. long narrative yeah. film. It's so still what a, that means is like... Uh, no, it's true. I guess what I'm saying is it, it feels as though its priorities tend closer to those taken when you know the audience is going to be watching the entire thing from beginning to end and yep. keeping all the pieces in their head in that way. I mean, we we are accustomed now to serialized television in which you absolutely have to keep all the details in your head all the time. But I, I think an interesting thing, sort of thing to note, maybe in a second, you know, in a rewatch of this season, mm-hmm. for instance, would be what are the opening scenes of each episode? Because they're even now having gotten used to it after seven episodes they're not how television uses establishing shots. They feel like right. scenes that could be in the middle of a movie uh, for tonal purposes rather than sort of an overture to anything that's going to come in this one specific right. episode. You, you know, Jerry Horn out in the middle of the woods. Right. You know, things like that. You could you could go on and on. I mean, there's lots of, lots of examples of that in this season as a whole. And it, it just feels to me like this season exists as one huge thing in a way that I I really don't typically th- think of television as being because usually I think when people re- speak about a television season as being novelistic or cinematic or whatever it is with a completely linear 
story that goes from beginning to end. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, it's like you took a big long book and chopped it up, you know, serialized, like like how Dickens was originally published or something. But that's not actually how this feels to me. It feels right. like a film which uses nonlinear, like heavily nonlinear editing. Right. Even if the story is basically going from beginning to end, the way it's arranged is absolutely right. I think part of the reason that movies get away with so much that they do sort of just aesthetically and time-wise and whatever else is because they assume that the audience is sitting in a dark box and their entire job for the duration of it is to watch it. Mm-hmm. Like you can you can have an audience expectation that like and it's a it's a one-off relatively short yeah. experience as opposed to something you're committing to over the course of several right, but months. But the idea now like what I during this episode especially because I was having the same I think realizations as you of just this is this is actually one gigantic thing. I asked myself Am I a human being who would actually pay money to have just gone and sat in a room and watched all of Twin Peaks: The Return <laughs> in like one day? Um, I couldn't do. I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't do it either. I don't think. But I wished for a reality where I could just be like, just give it to me. Just give me all all of this because I just I feel like because we're seeing this over the course of fifteen weeks, the overall arc of it and the context in which we're supposed to be understanding this stuff gets so drawn out that I wonder at this point if it's actually being drawn out beyond what they would have liked. Like, or we- I wonder the same thing. I mean, we get little flashes of characters who we'll see in one episode, not see them at all for several episodes, and still seven episodes in, you know, more than a third of the way in, unclear whether they're important yeah. at all or whether they're simply there for flavor or whether they're th- just there as sort of a like little bonus for Twin Peaks fans who will recognize them. Right. It's it's so hard to know. Like I didn't think going into this that I would maybe end up ultimately being a proponent of just of like binge watching season three basically, but it'll be interesting to I be able to. I think that's going to gonna be how it's yeah. <laughs> best enjoyed. I think so too. I'm I'm watching this show obviously in a sort of artificial way now because I'm taking notes on everything so we can do this podcast. I would imagine if if that were not the case, just knowing myself, I'm someone who I have to take these notes because otherwise I won't remember all these little, little details. And as listeners of this podcast know, sometimes I still yeah. mess that up. More and on so, that. Right. And so if I weren't, if I were just watching this show completely recreationally, watching these shows, whether binged or at least in closer proximity would have, would aid me. Yep. I, I think so as well. So on that note. <laughs> on the note of not keeping details ah, in our heads, our corrections uh, segments. Yes, we have. We got quite a few emails from people who um, completely correctly pointed out that we misstated two important things last episode. Yep. Uh, one, the pair of assassins, uh, the the Dougie sort of related. Um, hitmen guys, those are not the same people as the debt collectors right. that Janie E. paid off. Those are diff- just different people. That's so uh, uh, that's sort of a uh, keystone of a big <laughs> chunk of discussion last week. Sorry about that. Yep. And also, we misunderstood something that Hawk was saying in the bathroom. He was not indicating that they're in the women's bathroom. He was, he was suggesting t- yeah. that Chad should get out of here and go use the use the ladies' room because Hawk yes. is busy so, ripping apart the bathroom stall. Yeah. To that point, let's uh, let's get started with one of the biggest meaty things in this meaty episode full of plot mm-hmm. meat, mm-hmm. which is Hawk uh, and and Sheriff Truman too talking about what the, what Hawk found in the bathroom. As suspected or hoped for by many people, it turns out that it was a bunch of Laura's missing diary. Mm-hmm. It was shocking to me how just like tangibly gratifying in a dorky Twin Peaks fan way it was to see them just lay those out and read that same text verbatim. I don't know why, but I did not expect that text to ever like pop back in verbatim as like classic ass Twin Peaks evidence, but I guess it... Yeah, I mean, this show has in so many ways distanced itself from that really core Laura Palmer through line yep. of Twin Peaks and Firewalk with me, and so it's it was kind of startling. Laura's Laura's diary coming back, that text coming back, reminded me in either episode two or three, Laura Palmer shows up and talks to Cooper in the red room, and then something weird happens, and then Leland shows up and says, "Find Laura." Like by that implies that there's some wrinkle in what's going on with Laura Palmer. Who knows what yeah. that will mean? But her journal coming back and being this like forward a story element reminded me, like, oh, geez, that's right. We saw we saw Laura Palmer in this show already once. Hawk goes like full 
lore blast in this scene. Yeah. And true to the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department, they take it all in stride in a way that is almost ridiculous. Yeah. Hawk and Truman re- digging through all this stuff and Ben Horn getting the room key and sort of re- re-excavating the Laura Palmer stuff in his mind. What it really did for me was make me miss Agent Dale Cooper, the character that we know from Twin know, Peaks, yeah. a ton. Yeah. Because all of these threads... Like all of these characters, these characters were never, they never had to be like load bearing investigation or sort of lore management characters. You always would, if someone found a room, like a room key uh, to a hotel room and it meant something important in the back of your brain in the old show, you'd be like, oh man, well, when Cooper finds this, he's going to say that. Or like when they find these journal pages, like, okay, I just get those to Agent Cooper, like have (laughs) him say something interesting, then, you know, get Albert to come in and look at them. mess around with it for like four weeks, but then let's get it to Cooper. Like, and it's, it's making some of this stuff feel kind of hollow to me in a way yeah, that I, I like, kind of agree, like yeah. I like seeing it from sort of the like learning new information, whatever, like my just sort of logical brain is enjoying it. But, uh, but in my heart right here, <laughs> uh, I, I just like something missing. Something's missing. Yeah. <laughs> and that thing is tearing a gun out of a hitman's hand in a strange way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's see what's what's next here. Um, well, we could go on to Ben Horn and well, there's and, there's actually a bunch more Truman stuff. I don't know. If oh, that's was, true. That's a good point because he 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 calls up. He calls. He makes two old, phone calls. Original Truman. He call he calls up original Truman in huge quotes. Yeah, because he's just talking into yeah. into nothing. Because Harry mm-hmm. Truman, I guess, isn't in the show, mm-hmm. and um, it seems like he's sick. And it's bad news, and then that yeah. is just put to bed quickly. And then he talks to Doc Hayward mm-hmm. on Skype, it, uh, on the best Skype yeah. of all, because it's a computer monitor that pops up yeah, out of a wooden very, insert very in his desk. The best, the yeah. best, yeah. the best Twin Peaks technology crossover of all time. He has yep. a cartoon lever that he pulls on his desk. Mm-hmm. Oh man! I also have to say, I did appreciate that it was just stupid Skype. Yeah, it wasn't a weird like video police video chat technology, you know, whatever. Yeah, made up thing. It was just Skype. They spent a little too long explaining what Skype was yeah, to each other. Yeah, that was kind of odd. But, uh, yeah, and uh, Doc Hayward's Skype name is Middlebury Doc. I didn't have a chance to go look and see if that's actually a registered Skype account. So we should talk about all the things in that scene quickly, I guess. Yeah. First off, obviously, it was good to see Warren Frost show up. This is probably, yeah. I'm going to guess this is the only footage of Warren Frost that's going to be in the show. So. This episode was dedicated to his memory. It, yeah, it reminded me very much of the footage they got of Catherine Coulson yeah. uh, as the log lady of just like, oh, yeah. Um, Warren Frost is Mark Frost's dad. He suffered apparently a really long battle with Alzheimer's before passing away, which um, this scene was just generally sort of heartwarming mm-hmm. and also sad. In, yep. in, yeah, yeah, um, I agree. Because that guy was one of my favorite characters on oh, Twin Peaks, too. easily. He, like yeah. he, Warren Frost put on the most sort of warm, like bittersweet performance. Yeah, consistently. When on that show. like he was, he embodied the real human being stuck in Twin Peaks yeah. throughout the good and the bad of yep, that show. Absolutely, uh, including like when things were completely outrageous and stupid, and he was just like silently cracking up to himself in the corner <laughs> in, in a bunch of season two. Oh, it's just yeah. he's just so good. Yeah, uh, and. You got just like a tiny glimmer of that. Mm-hmm. Um, when he smiled, there was a moment later in the conversation where he smiles. and it's when he's telling the story about the trouts in his yeah, pajamas and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I think you're yeah. right. And it, and it was exactly like the classic Warren Frost and Twin Peaks, and I was yeah, really happy. it was really good. He's also there to provide some weird evidence. He's there to say that when Cooper was in the hospital, he got up and uh, Doc Hayward thought that he went and visited Audrey. Yeah. Which has led to the internet tr- going all the way out and saying like is Cooper Richard Horn's dad is okay, like the, yeah. the, the that's I don't want to get into that I don't I don't yeah. yeah all right fine maybe who knows I don't know anything the, the no one knows anything the um the other thing the thing that that came to mind for me was well like obviously this is bad coop like doppelganger Cooper who's out and about at that time the other thing that we know was in the hospital at the same time as him was that owl cave ring which we know that he got back into his possession. So that's like, maybe that's what he was doing. Sure. Or also, who knows? No one knows. Yep. Important information is just that he was up and out of the hospital really fast. Yeah. We want to move on to, speaking of Audrey Horn, the Horns? Yeah. The Horn the, brothers? There's there's some, yeah. We opened this episode with Jerry Horn lost in the woods, complaining. Yeah, seemingly. Despondent that his car that was is, stolen. Right. And then they have some awkward classic Twin Peaks back and forth that yeah. was more awkward than classic. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> one of t- one of two missing cars this episode. Yeah, Jerry sort of freaking out about being high. Being high. Yeah. And <laughs> I I never know what to make of these kinds of scenes in this season. I I really don't know what to make of them. <laughs> yeah, they they never quite work and I can't tell if they can't they, I I feel like they never quite work for a ton of reasons. Like there's no they're not grounded in any story arc that we can perceive yet. There's no music in any of them. They're usually one tiny cut in between things that have nothing to do with them. Mm-hmm. They're very, they're yeah, they're yeah, strange. It is, it is odd. I don't, I don't entirely know. And again, sorry to keep going back to this, but that's another reason I said that film thing is that again, like in th- I conceivably, if you could string together all of the little just Jerry Horn bits throughout one continuous length thing, maybe that would paint more of a picture of something. Maybe, yeah, maybe not though. I don't maybe. know. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just the way television usually works is like you, and this is how Twin Peaks worked. I've mentioned this before, the original Twin Peaks is, you know, at any given sort of several episode long arc of a season, you have some collection of characters that you are largely catching up on. And every week you tune in, yeah. it's like, ah, I am going to then see what's what's going on with this character. But that is just absolutely a not A few of these threads have no setup, especially Jerry Horn. Like, what yeah. is Jerry Horn's purpose? We didn't really get a kickoff. We just started off with him hanging out in Ben's office being a weed man. Mm-hmm. And he sort of just continued to ambiently be a weed man. <laughs> uh, who knows? Yeah. Ben Horn, this episode, though, yeah. we actually... Much bigger... Yeah, we started to actually sort of get a foothold into some something with him. Uh, with him and his... Uh, I, 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 some not assistant, but some, uh, uh, some co-worker at the, at the Great Northern, played by Ashley Judd, mm-hmm. whose name I can't remember. Beverly. Beverly, right. That scene of them chasing the hum around her office... Actually, I was pretty good. I thought like that. That yeah, was that I, was a version of the sort of random cut into a two characters I agree. that felt totally earned. And I, th- I and think good. it was really, really sold by all of Ben Horn's sort of classic little sly like arch one eye in this direction. Like, look over here. Could it be there? He's he's really good at that sort of both sort of underplayed and overplayed like physical acting yep. where he's intrigued by something it's a there was something it felt like between him and Beverly but it was way more of he's like an old guy who's still a charmer and not he's a lecherous slightly rapey man who owns uh, an over the border right. illegal club I was worried club. about how, how it was going to go and it was fine I it think. felt it, it yeah you got the impression that this was a slightly more relaxed perhaps post soul searching Ben Horn right uh, <laughs> and a Run, little bit runs a chiller workplace mm-hmm <laughs> But who knows? Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, it's it seems like he's possible. He he may have settled into. It's just like, it's just the the weed now. It's just the pot farm, and no longer <laughs> um, a uh, sort of always on the cusp of a rapacious empire. Yeah. yeah, the hum in the walls. Did you have any read on what that um, would be? I assumed it was because of the presence of the key, but I don't know. God, I thought you were about to say I assumed it was because of the presence of Jody Packard's ghost. Oh man! <laughs> For all we know. That uh, was that was Josie's hum. Yeah, in the in the wood. Yeah, the other possibility I was thinking about: why do things in the walls of the Great Northern seem familiar to me? And it's that They're over seasons one props? and two. No, I mean things being literally inside the walls. Audrey used to oh. totally climb oh, around right. inside Ben Horn's yeah, office. That's true. And there's and clearly like the Great the Great Northern is just full of weird in the wall secret passages. So the idea yeah. that there's actually there could physically be something. This could be one of those times in Twin Peaks where there's a weird Lynchian moment where there's just a strange ambient noise, but then it's also revealed to be, you know, like a tape recorder whose motor has gone wrong or something like later on. Or or it could be a ghost. It could be anything. It seemed like it was reacting to where they were going. It did. Yeah. It also seemed, you know, potentially like it was connected to uh, Cooper's room key being back in that yeah, room. Yeah, that's what I, that was yeah. what I figured, yeah. Also, knows? Cooper's room key comes back, and yeah. it felt for half a second like it was going to die on the vine. We're like, oh, that's that room key. Weird. And then right at the end of the scene, Ben pockets it and walks out. Mm-hmm. I was glad he did that. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, oh, no. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to then just sort of cap that off with Beverly going home? And we were introduced. Like, yeah. We ended up getting an actual introduction to this character. She is the wife of a man with some kind of um, chronic illness. Yep. Uh, Named Tom. T- yeah. Who... It seems as as can happen with these things has put their marriage under strain. Um, he seemed he seemed convinced that her being gone for a while was an indication that she was maybe having an affair or doing something just unrelated. I mean, the, he mm-hmm. was he was being very passive aggressively accusatory, and then she justifiably, at least it seems right now, dressed him down for yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. 
And that's all we got. Yeah, that's, that. that's about it. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, in Twin Peaks, Andy is doing some policing. I guess he's... We, we first check in with Andy talking to who seems to be the owner of that truck right. that Richard Horn used to run down the kid and also right. used to drive to his meeting with, with fake Hank. I don't really understand why Andy didn't say we're going down to the station right now. He's I know. the owner of the truck that was used in a hit and run, right? Yeah, and it was It was really strange that that guy seemed so worried and Andy just bought into it. This is kind of crass to say, but it felt like that all happened. I mean, well, it just felt like it all happened so that guy could go missing. But Sure, yeah. But in the process of doing that, Andy made sure that their meeting was as like Twin Peaks symbol and lore heavy as possible. <laughs> yeah. It was like, let's meet on the old road next to Sparkwood and 21 and let's meet at 4.30, the time that, that is the number as the giant said in the beginning of yeah. episode one. I'll make sure that I'm doing all of those things so that at that precise coordinates and that precise time, I can look anxious and something <laughs> bad can happen to you back at your house. Right. All yeah, of those weird. individual it's, moments were cool, but it felt like it was very ba- constructed from the back to make all of it happen yeah, as opposed sure. to it feeling natural. It's weird to see Andy, that character, kind of at the nexus of a bunch of weird Twin Peaks lore callbacks. Yeah. Because that character typically, I don't think, has had no, much he's awareness usually sort of, of stumbling off to the periphery of, the, of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, you know, to his credit, Andy and the actor, like, played it as a very casual thing where he, he like he didn't there was no like winking imbuing of meaning in it when yeah, he was yeah, saying yeah. He was it but it was like uh, these are a lot of notable <laughs> words coming out of your mouth right now dude yeah 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 so lieutenant knox investigating uh investigating Briggs fingerprints yeah i will just by and large even though i feel like we've come down kind of negative on all of the stuff happening inside of the town of twin peaks this episode like i feel like we've had a relatively muted oh, I don't tone know. On i really it. i really liked i was i want stuff yeah <laughs> and I liked a lot of what was going on with Hawk and Truman. Yeah, it was it was it was all good, but it, man, it made me miss Cooper. The end. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the body of the body of Briggs investigated by Lieutenant Knox. Mm-hmm. This again just felt like more setup and knockdown of plot that has been bubbling across this season. Actually, that's this reminds me of a of a large overall impression that you and I started with in the, when season 3 when season 3 started and we were talking about the secret history of Twin Peaks book, we had said we're going to feel comfortable spoiling the contents of the book on this show because it's not worth speculating as to which pieces of it are relevant because the things that are relevant are just going to be aired out in full in the show and the things that aren't relevant the show is going to ignore. Right. And this episode has made me feel like that about this entire season of Twin Peaks where there's all these details scattered throughout the show and there's all these things to speculate about and I feel as the host of a podcast like part of my job is to like write down and surface as many of those details back into the consciousness as I can. This episode has basically been a statement like unilaterally if a detail is important, a character is going to straight up bring it back as the most straightforward piece of forensic evidence. This is a big clue. And then we'll specifically ask ourselves what it means. Laura Palmer's diary, the way that that showed up, the way that um, Cooper's fingerprints are explained, the way that Major Briggs's body and the backstory of it is explained. Like we have characters now that are actually like these are details are the ones that we are going to care about right. and we're going to and we're going to move forward and process them and mm-hmm. it's y- right yeah anything that one episode ago two episodes ago three episodes ago people were sort of spec saying like ah if you note this detail this is this if it matters characters will straight up yeah i'm i'm feeling it. i'm feeling more confident in the show not being sort of ethereal and nebulous with that stuff like and that's an element of twin peaks the original run that i i think you you could feel very comfortable about that too for all of its weirdness the actual mystery was going to keep being brought up and processed by the sort of investigatory like threads and the actual the law enforcement characters. And for this show, this season being even way farther out into total abstract madness, the sort of plot, plotty clue mystery stuff feels like it's taking its time getting there, but it, it, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm feeling less anxious about the fact that that stuff is going to continue to hold together because yeah. it's, it's been a source of anxiety for me over the course of the show <laughs> of just like, all these things keep coming up. Are they going to talk about them? Okay. Right. Well, and then they, sometimes you'll go several episodes without it being addressed. Yeah. Then. But now like this episode was a, a lot of it was just concrete, almost expositionary conversations about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like. It is. We were wondering, like, are they going to float over how notable it is that this body is Major Briggs? Is it weird that, like, 
you know, what was up with those, the 16 different fingerprint hits? Right, and then right, this right. time it's like, okay, it is actually that those were all potentially either old prints or weird, some, something else. This is unique. This is Major Briggs' right. body. It's yeah, a or big, was it this guy who, like, this body, whether it's actually Briggs or some weird doppelganger or something, right. present at all those scenes? I mean, we don't know, but there's definitely right. some more concrete information is being yeah this is the, this is the first time that actual human a human hand bearing those fingerprints has shown up mm-hmm. um, the fact that it's a, the, a man in his late 40s which seems like that must have been what major Briggs was in the original run of the show late 40s I mean yeah. I or if you maybe yeah, he was in his maybe he was in his early, early 50s. 50s it's hard yeah. to know because yeah. Don Don Davis was a heavy set bald man so right. you can't actually it's tell tough, and, but, to, tough to pinpoint and also yeah. his the actor who plays his son is way older than the character is he's supposed to be playing like Bobby is supposed to be someone who's 16 or that's, 17 that's true that's but a he's good an point. actor who's yeah. clearly in his in his early no, 20s no that's a good point yeah late 40s I think makes sense uh, for, for Briggs was he somehow stuck in another place was he stuck in in a lodge type scenario or what yeah is this a doppelganger who didn't age or who knows what it is mm-hmm. we know that we have actual physical evidence of his body also in these scenes that sort of weird blackened figure from bill hastings jail yeah, cell was yeah. creeping around in a lynch ass lynchian way in oh, the yeah. background Total and it was really it was really moment. scary yeah the, the way that he managed the, blurry, the way that he managed yeah. the rack focus to sort of slowly but never quite R- reveal him or that the camera would start having a move that feels unmotivated and then you realize that it was actually sort of tracking him behind the wall as he walks past the door and continues to move was like yeah that was really, that character's really presence good. in the background yeah. of those scenes was yeah. was really good and Excellent. how um lieutenant Knox when she's on the phone to man to Ernie Hudson's da- character Davis. to Davis yeah she well, kind also, of also by the way the last name of Don Davis oh right? yeah the character right who plays that's got to be a Briggs. Don Davis actor uh, who plays Major Briggs yeah. reference how she sort of becomes aware of that guy in the background but not in a, like doesn't address him or turn to face him just sort of like anxiously and passively leaves the scene and then the camera reveals him like she yeah. she notices that he's there yeah but it's just like ah but since I'm she doesn't leave. know she's in a creepy tv show <laughs> yeah it doesn't necessarily it's just like ah uh, there's just a thing back there. that's bad yeah. bad guy that scene in general was really good i thought it was great like yeah i thought it was great good tone the weird weird plot stuff mm-hmm it's it's the closest bridge to Cole, Albert, Diane. Yeah, to the what is sort of the continuous, like the longest continuous chain in this episode, I think, which is this mm-hmm. going from the FBI guys going to Diane and then them going to South Dakota to talk to Coop. That we that thread opens with Gordon Cole alone in his office, sort of practicing whistling trills. What is he? What is he whistling? Do you know? Oh, just, oh, I mean, they're just little trills. It looks like he's practicing his ability to, like do a, a tight trill I bet that's a, a reference to like some either old song or a yeah, film could, score could or something well, well I, be, I yeah. bet that it is but yeah. I, I couldn't place it because I I don't know because I'm a failure <laughs> um, I, a thing I really so he's he's whistling away on the in, wall. In, what's that well he's got that corn or uh, he has a he has a big old ear of corn on the wall oh I didn't even notice that I was just yeah. noticing the massive and then uh, mushroom cloud. He's got that mushroom cloud. Yeah, uh, that was a good shot. My favorite part about that first scene is that Albert, you know, Albert comes in, mm-hmm. says, you know, she stonewalled me basically, and uh, Cole is then. It's determined Cole is going to go visit Diane. Yeah, and he says, "You'll, but you'll come with me, right?" And Albert says, "Say, Say please. please," and then Cole's like, "What? You heard me." Yeah. Please. Like, I, that was amazing. Yeah. That, really that, good. Just like Albert isn't, Albert He's like, I'm not humoring you. I'm how not... much he's getting, he's bullshitted by this guy constantly with yep. his hearing aid and he was not having it. And that, I thought that was an amazing, like, yep. decades long payoff. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Really, really good. Yep. Gordon Cole continues to deliver as a, yeah. as a highly watchable character mm-hmm. in this season of Twin Peaks. Yep. Um, so they meet up with Diane in her apartment. She dismisses her... Her man? Like her man, <laughs> whatever description. And uh, she agrees. Yeah. Laura Dern's look in this show is... She looks like a... She's playing a Diane very much. The things that she says, the way that she carries herself, and also just her look. A Diane who has very much had a hard 25 years. Yeah. And I think if you haven't seen Laura Dern and other stuff in the last decade this is not what Laura Dern usually looks like yeah 
like uh, she was in Big Little Big Lies. Little Lies. I can yeah. never remember which mm-hmm. way it goes. Yeah, and she also plays sort of a harried character in that show. More yeah, than, but, more than often. But she yeah. carries herself the way that you sort of think of Laura Dern in yeah. most of yeah, her yeah, film yeah, roles. Yeah. Yeah. And seeing her like with that wig and the way that her makeup's done and the way that she just carries her face, like she just looks like time has hit her harder than it usually does. Yeah, well, and I mean, and, and that's, that's how she plays every line and that's how, you know. I know, yeah. I, I only mention it yeah. in case people haven't been paying attention to Laura Dern because there's some characters in this show who show up and it's just like, wow, you're old. Uh, I mean, everyone's everyone's looking good in Twin yeah. Peaks, but it's sometimes hard to know how much of it is the character they're playing versus just like what has happened to them. Sure. Um, which I guess is a specifically interesting thing to say given the things that she says about why she knows that... Uh, that bad coop is not who he is. She specifically says like, it's not just the way that he talked and it's not just oh, yeah. the way that he changed because of time. Right. This is not the same person. Like yeah. this is not, well, this, she says it's like something's missing. Here, something's missing like, here. Yeah. Let's go back to them having coffee in Diane's house. Oh, I mean, they do. Yeah, they have that. <laughs> uh, well, so Cole, there's one thing I wanted to highlight, which is that Cole says, you know, he, he, he says something's wrong here and we mm-hmm. need your help. And he says, it involves something you know about, and that's enough said about that, which is a very Gordon Cole yep. thing. Uh, but it implies that Diane, I mean, it, it, it doesn't imply it outright states that Diane knows something about this weird situation yep. that Cole also is aware of. And none of this has been explicitly vocalized to us, the audience. I mean, we know more than they do from a certain angle, but they also know things about this that they have not shared yep. with us. And I just wanted to mention yeah. that. I, and whatever that means in the specifics, it's enough to get Diane on a plane to South Dakota. Because the next thing that we see is an establishing shot of a plane. Yeah. Uh, a very weird establishing shot of a yeah. plane because the windows keep blinking in and out. Yeah. And it's really hard to know if that was the sun, supposed to be the sun reflecting off them. But it seems it like it's seem not. Like it, it seems like it's. it looks yeah. like the windows are literally disappearing off of the fuselage of the plane in a way that in, that feels like digital flickering or something. Like yeah. it almost it yeah. looks like they're just not able to maintain their presence. Someone on the Autothumbs forum said, I wonder what that what the what the windows disappearing uh would sound like if played on a flute, yeah. which is hilarious <laughs> to me. What if it turns when out you, to be Wyndham Earl's melodies oh played to Leo? <laughs> it's what it's what uh, Cole was practicing wrestling yes. in his office. <laughs> so on the plane uh, Preston show Tammy Preston shows uh, Cole and and Albert I guess both of them yes she um, shows that the, the one prince. of the fingers is flipped Albert this is again one of those things where she was looking at the prince and everyone's like what does it mean and Cooper said a word backwards uh, in yeah. the interrogation everyone said what is it what is it is is this just weird Lynchian nonsense and then straight up Albert says it looks like someone at the prison really crappily flipped one of Cooper's prints to yeah. make it match the regular Cooper, but it's been clearly reversed because the ID number was reversed. Yeah. And at the Which time, everyone that, was like, was that just bad graphics? Yeah, someone thought that was a, a production mistake. Yeah, and they specifically called it out. And then Gordon very specifically refers back to, uh, he didn't greet me properly because he, Cooper's, it is very, very nice to see you, Gordon, or whatever. Yeah. One of the varies is backwards. Yep. And he, Gordon says, you rev, like he specifically yeah. calls that out and then has uh, Preston put out her hands and counts them out. And the backwards word in the 10 sentence or in the 10 word greeting lines up to the backwards fingerprint. Who knows what that means? But yeah. And he's like, he's got some like new age, like this is your this whatever is your spirit mound thing, or whatever. Yeah, and, what it was. and that, you know, that means something to Gordon, but it at least explicitly now coded as these characters who know a bunch about this situation understand that something is wrong and they have these specific points that we've been seeing again it was it was just sort of like I mean, it was reassuring point, yeah to me. for sure at that point we're getting into a level of investigation that is in line with for instance cooper's tibetan rock throwing or something like it doesn't yeah. matter if we necessarily understand exactly what cole means but in the in the right. world of twin peaks someone has an observation that surely right. means something. The investigation starts from a sort of starting point that is very spiritual like and holistic, not concrete, yeah. but from there we move in a very concrete yeah. and sort of classic investigative way. Yep. Um, and you see some really good distant shots of kind of kind of Diane's point of view. I mean, it's showing her, but she's sort of looking over her shoulder mm-hmm. at that stuff. And though their conversation about the fingerprints and about this Cooper is clearly really meaningful to her. Like you can see her mind churning through it. So they arrive at the prison. She sort of 
you know, sets terms for talking to Cooper, is granted that. Yeah, and then calls and then says, you're it. in control of the microphone and the screen. screen. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, she has an experience with Bad Coop that is very much in line with the one Bad Coop had with Cole. It's way more personal, though. It is It is way more personal. Like, way more yes. personal. No, it's true. It's true. It's it, 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 it's it, way more personal, except that it's entirely impersonal. <laughs> right? Yeah, but her, her reactions yes. to all the things that he's saying, yes. I mean, the implication is, I think, that she has had an encounter with Doppelganger Cooper after Cooper disappeared and is kind of... That's, oh, really? That was my feeling oh, wow. on that. Was I totally that, didn't... The, did, that was not what I took away, but that's he's, interesting... He's talking about... The first thing that she asks is, when did you see me last? Yeah. You know, he's, he keeps saying, are you... He keeps saying, are you upset with me? I think you're upset. And she keeps saying, when did you last see me? Yeah, and he says, at your house. At your house. Which and, isn't an answer to when. That's just an answer to where. Right, kind of, but then she's... What does Cooper say? He, his implication was that it was memorable in a in a way that sort of sounds like he's twisting a knife. And she says, I'll never forget it in a way that sounds like it was a thing that was not good. Yeah. He says, I'll always remember that night. And she says, I'll never forget it. I'll never it. forget yeah. it. And that seemed to me like she had an encounter with Bag Coop. Like yeah. she had an encounter with Doppelganger Cooper. And then because then she's when she's doing that debrief with Gordon and she says he's missing something right here. He he says, "Is there something you want to tell me about what you were talking about?" And she just—I mean, she doesn't straight up refuse. She says, "We'll have a talk sometime." We'll, we'll have a talk sometime. Yeah. That's interesting because I definitely—I mean, I guess it makes sense logically, given the events of Twin Peaks, that she would have had an encounter with Doppelganger Coop because presumably they were not yet on bad terms during the run of the show, and there wouldn't have been any other opportunity for right. them to encounter each other. Nonetheless, it seems weird that when she says he has something missing, does she mean as of when they had that meeting? I thought she meant as of now. Well, yeah, the the arc that I thought was possible was that she had a meeting with Doppel- Doppelganger Cooper, with this sort of, with Bad Coop, right after the events of Twin Peaks, and whatever it was, it went really badly. Yeah. And was sort of like a destructive element in her life, but at that point, it w- maybe the differences between that Cooper, it was just like, God, what is going on with Cooper? Yeah. And now she's seeing him again 25 years later and is like, okay. Th- mm. Like the, the thing that happened 25 years ago, 24 years ago, whatever, you know, like that happened way back in the time yeah. that made me cut all ties with all these people. Yeah. Might have been way more messed up than I thought that yeah. it was. Like that was – that. Yeah. Um, that thought was, I think, what being coupled with Doppelganger Cooper going to visit Audrey makes all that stuff seem really uncomfortable and not great to me. That, like, does Doppelganger Cooper, Bad Coop, whatever, go and basically pay visits to all the people who are close to real Cooper and just do destructive things? You're right. I don't know. You know, I, I hope that it doesn't, I hope that the show isn't implying that he literally just goes and assaults all of these people, but it feels like there was some undercurrent yeah. there. No, I that, don't know. That, that's interesting. I mean, that that's. I think that's really well argued. I is absolutely not what my takeaway was, but I think you're. You, that, I think you you might be right. I'm sure we'll find out. Yeah, I'm as sure we, we will. As we know, concretely as find we know, out this eventually. far into the show, yeah. it's 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 gonna just. These are the sorts of questions that it seems like it's going to answer. Whether or not uh, we learn <laughs> anything about Agent Cooper at any goddamn moment, <laughs> who knows? But uh, yeah, the the clues that it's laying down, it seems interested in 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 picking up. Yep. And it wouldn't it wouldn't drop something like this without getting into it. Whether or not right. we like where it goes uh, on a plot level or a like de- creative decision level is, is to be yeah. seen. But speaking of Cooper, you want to talk about Cooper as Dougie? Well, no, there's because there's you're jumping ahead because there's all of the other bad Coop stuff after. Oh, of course, yeah, they, right. They leave. Cole says to the warden, "Keep him here. We're done, but keep him here." Um, and then the warden immediately goes back on his word because of Mister Strawberry because yeah. because Cooper says I want to talk to the warden and he just gets his wish immediately yeah. the warden turns off the security cameras and then C- Cooper implies he doesn't imply well he he states by way of dropping a few clues that he yeah, has some he major dirt Joe, Joe McCluskey yeah who I can't tell if Joe McCluskey is Mr. Strawberry or if that is a separate thing is Mr. Strawberry is Mr. Strawberry the dog oh the dog with the four legs yeah and the three legs yeah. yeah he says that, that there's one the one dog leg that was found in his car which was gross when he was arrested that he sent the other three legs along with copies of some sort of information presumably about the warden yeah 
two sources who right. will do something who, yeah, if Cooper doesn't go, get what he wants. Presumably go public with that information. Yeah. We don't really know what's up with the warden, but Cooper sort of says, like, there's two guys who I, uh, will not be involved or whatever. Like, there's just... I'm sure, again, whatever these threats are will either be made material later or we are just uh, right now supposed to just take from it Bad Coop has leverage against the warden and seems to know that this is the correctional facility he would have ended up in or the holding Mm -hmm. cell that he would have ended up in because he has a big old plan. Mm -hmm. Um, Then he and his minion get let out and drive away in a rental car. He and and Ray Monroe. Yep. Who's been been a sort of like background present character through the entire season. Yeah. Occasionally in relation to Bad Coop. Yep. Uh, When he says, this is such a stupid question. When he says, I want a friend in the glove compartment, is that a gun? Is that what that means? I think so. That was my read on that as well. I figured. It was just... What's the point of being euphemistic at that point? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it doesn't matter. And then when he leaves, there's some ominous humming and buzzing sound effects as he drives away. Yeah. <sighs> All right. So and now. So that's, that's one of our two Coopers. Yeah. Now let's go to Dougie. Dougie Cooper. Uh, excuse me. Douglas Jones, Douglas as we Jones. learn his full name is yeah. on his office wall. Speaking of his office wall, actually. Uh, oh, man. Mad Men. Yeah, oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. That is not what I was going to bring up, but that is important. Uh where are you going to go? Where are you talking this about? This is just, this is an email from Adam Linnell. Okay. Uh, who says, how about Philip Jeffries coming off the elevator on the seventh floor at the Philadelphia FBI office and fire walk with me and Dougie's office being on the seventh floor in the return? Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, just a, just a little, little bit of resonance there as this season is obsessed with stuff like that. So yep. worth mentioning, I yep. think. Also, this is probably not deliberate, but the art hanging in the- I don't know. You never know. I bet it is. You think it is? You don't think it's just that it was from the same prop no, warehouse? No, I think it's deliberate. There's a, a, uh, like a piece of art hanging up in, I guess, Dougie's office. Is that right? Yeah. Is the same piece of uh, uh, art that's in the Sterling Cooper like boardroom in some seasons of Mad Men, like in the scene when uh, Don Draper is pitching the Hershey's- uh, stuff and telling the story about his life. Yeah, when he breaks down. Yeah, when he breaks down in in uh, one of the later Mad Men seasons. That same art is up on the wall in Dougie's office. Filmy Girl writes, um, there are two things I haven't seen discussed, but I'd love to get your take on them. David Lynch is a huge Mad Men fan. Huh, okay. Does that change how you see the Dougie story at all to see it through that lens? I can't help but see Dougie as a kind of Lynchian take on the utter vapidness of Don Draper. Um, and then she has a different point, which is uh, more general. Oh, man, crazy. Okay, because I had seen Lynch say when people were asking him, because, pe- pe- you know, reporters uh, trying to get a sense on early on in, in Twin Peaks season three of just how this fits into sort of modern golden age of TV, whatever. And they asked David Lynch what he thinks about that. And he didn't really give an answer, but he said, I love Mad Men and I love Breaking Bad. Yeah. And that's all that he said. I love that. Just the two, like. And he just names like the two biggest ones. I know, like, <laughs> like the two, at least non HBO stuff. Just like, television. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. hearing that he's actually a big Mad Men fan makes makes that. I mean, the thing is, when he when he says that sort of thing, it always sounds like a weird, goofy David Lynch throwaway thing. But it also is probably true that he watched all of Mad Men and all of Breaking yeah. Bad. Yeah, it's uh, also. I just can't imagine a production design decision like that being just coincidental and accidental. I mean, <laughs> hopefully it was Lynch thing. I that want thing. that poster in Dougie's wall, <laughs> like. <laughs> When pointing, like, he's brought a printout of uh, a scene from Mad Men. Yeah. uh, Faces of stone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, anyway, what happens in this scene? Well, we, we before that, we get Janie E. at the statue waiting for him. And then it's Cooper at his desk and the guy being like, so what's up? How's it going? Right. And then it cuts to her being outside again. And then she walks in. Right. Uh, Then Cooper, again, is just sort of vaguely gouging the pen into the desk and has drawn something new on the mm-hmm. pages that we don't get a good look at. And the police arrive. The police arrive, yes. In a weird scene in which there's three police... It's like one of these classic Twin Peaks season three scenes in which everything is incredibly drawn out a- as aided by uh, Cooper's inability to sort of I think cogently I'll- respond to yes. anyone. And there's three police officers, all of whom seem to be acting in unison sometimes. I think they all have the same name. What? Uh, I've. You better actually double check this before we. They're all named Chet. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're all named Deputy Chet. <laughs> I'm nearly certain that that is the case, and I'll 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 verify that. All right. But um, yeah, there. Yeah. We get another. We get um, increasingly everyone surrounding Dougie is sort of like all contributing to somehow allow uh, Cooper to just barely exist as someone who isn't just institutionalized immediately like he- it was, this is like this is all of the scenes in this episode were Dougie's closest scrapes by far I yeah, think yeah but yeah 
Not that that means anything. Except because... for when he ducks a sniper rifle. <laughs> oh, yeah. Might okay. be Dougie's closest scrape. <laughs> Fair enough. Anytime that you think that maybe there's some aggressive forward velocity in the Dougie Jones story, there isn't. Yeah. She fills in for him as the wife who just sort of is impatiently answering all of the questions. Mm-hmm. And then Dougie's echoing conveniently just adds emphasis in a way that makes him seem like a, a, strong, a strong-willed a strong but quiet character. Right. Uh, there's one very tiny thing I wanted to point out because okay. I loved it. It's a very small detail and I doubt it's plot related at all. But I, I enjoyed it enormously, which is when they ask uh, Cooper to describe Dougie's car... And he obviously can't because he can't really mm-hmm. do anything. And Janie replies, it's a terrible car, yep. which is exactly what she says she clearly to the debt collector. Yeah. Who's just like, we're poor people or whatever. We drive terrible cars. She, Which even at the time I pulled that out as a, yeah. as a turn of phrase that I loved. We drive terrible cars. Yeah. And now it's a terrible car. Yeah. It's always in the shop. I, I, there, it is so specific. And I love that it, it is came a dumpy back. car, and it has that annoying vanity plate. She probably just thinks that car is a piece of crap. She, <laughs> yeah, I know, but the, the it's it's really good. It's a terrible car. I love it. I love it. When she says it was stolen, and all three of the police officers pull their like reporters' notebooks out at the yeah. exact same time, a classic ass, classic Twin Peaks. Yeah, thing. that is totally true. Those characters would be at home, like walking around in the Great Northern Hotel, basically at right. any time in yeah. in previous Twin Peaks. Yeah, they get out of that. Go downstairs, and then what's the guy's name? Ike, Ike the Spike. Ike the Spike shows up. Mm-hmm. Cooper immediately disarms him. Yeah, in like a, the most badass way possible. And then in the middle of the struggle, the arm pops up and yeah. s- starts screaming, squeeze his hands off. Right? That's yeah, what he's yelling. Something like that. Yeah, I couldn't. And it seems like it's aggressively an aggressively violent request that could be interpreted to just mean like pry the gun out of his hand. Yeah. Um, Cooper does pry the gun out of his hand mm-hmm. and then we get an amazing like TV news featurette about yeah, it for like a second. Yeah, handheld documentary footage <laughs> yeah. segment that was so weird. It was really good. Yeah. Uh, and then you see people peeling what looks like a little bit of skin off of the gun or was whatever that was. It was. I thought it was maybe like the Garmin Bosia stuff. I couldn't really tell. To me, it's a piece of meat. Yeah. <laughs> Did we ever talk about that? There's the, the little so. the little piece of flesh in Bill Hastings' car is what this looked like to me. It looked a ton like oh, that. Didn't, like that, oh, I didn't. Like that little scrap okay. that was in Bill Hastings' car, the, the blinking light yeah. was on. Yeah. When David Lynch was asked about that, I think in an interview after that episode debuted at, uh, in uh, Cannes in France, they're like, is that like human flesh? Is it? Is it animal? What is it meant to be like part of a, a part, thigh? Like, like, yeah, and then David Lynch was just saying, it's a piece of meat. And they're yeah. like, oh, but I mean, could it be this? I thought it was that. He said... To me, <laughs> to me, it's a it's a piece of meat. To me, I mean, yeah. you can think that, uh, but it looked very much like I, that. I didn't, I, I didn't. But who knows what it, it was? It was just yeah. some sort of it looked organic more matter crusted to me. Than, yeah, it, than a piece I, of was like, I was like, did Dougie like crush that? Did he actually squeeze his hand off it to the point that like he fused the guy's flesh to it? Yeah, yeah. Um, or yeah, did did he leave something behind? Yeah, something gross was peeled off that gun. Yeah, and collected as evidence. Yep. Yeah, I think that's all of the big. The big big threads this week. I think it is. We're already this episode's already running long, so so let's talk. So speaking of things that run long. Oh my god, yeah. Let's let's talk about this roadhouse scene. I loved this. You okay? You loved it. I I had an I had an arc. I went through an arc of this. Yeah. Of like I love this. I hate it. I love it. Surely that was intended, right? Yes. And that's kind of like how a joke that runs too long is supposed. To, is that's the arc yeah. you're supposed to have? I, I yeah. it, it it was it was the scene that I wanted to see, even though it was it was eaten up a lot of time. We're getting some incredible like default choices of music here. I mean, they're good, but like Take Five and Green Onions mm-hmm. are some pretty surface level needle <laughs> drop tracks. Yeah, uh, but whatever. Did did the guy sweeping up? Um, Sweeping up all of the mess on the floor into a neat pile feel like an analogy to you for this episode and sort of for where we are in the story, or did that just did? Uh, I, I don't know if it, I don't know if anything me, is, that's, meant, that's is meant is meant that that yeah, directly, sort but of, yeah. sort of this episode felt so much like all of the weird stuff that's been going on was like mopped up and organized, and then the episode effectively nearly ends with a shot of someone sweeping up a mess. Yeah, um, but yeah. whatever. I don't. That probably isn't meant that directly, but sure, it was a good it was a good shot, regardless of that. 
Yeah, um, I, it was. I appreciated how that the only thing in the shot was this character methodically sweeping up, and it was utterly naturalistic. There yeah. was something sort of very un-TV like about watching someone just perform a workmanlike task completely naturally. Especially after this episode that was a barreled through a bunch of very stylized, heavy-hitting yeah. plot yep. to then just be like, all right, we're not going to have a band this week, but we're going to have a guy sweeping the floor. But then at the end, there's going to be a cherry oh, yeah. on top <laughs> of a lascivious Renault. Yep. Still apparently like trafficking in team girls. The Renaults are, I guess, I guess now just confirmed to be the heart of all criminal anything, yeah. including the Renault family has owned this bar for 57 for years. 57 years. Yeah. There's, yep. a, there's, a, there's always a Renault always uh, chuckling to himself and saying sleazy things about trafficking women. Mm-hmm. And then we end uh, in the double R with the instrumental track Sleepwalk yep. playing yet another very widely used yep. piece of music. But it was kind of like it had other stuff coming in on it and I couldn't tell what yeah, was there was going some, on. There was some, as the scene went on, there was some, I what I assume to be sort of Battle Lamenti or David Lynch, because David Lynch often does that drone stuff, um, sort of stuff just fading in yep. a bit. But yeah, definitely. Um, the And it was another sort of just long naturalistic shot of just Twin was, Peaks going about well, his life. It opened with a guy like slamming into the into the door and being like, has anyone seen, I thought he said Philly. I saw someone. He said his name is Bing. Bing. I saw that as well. Yeah. I yeah. couldn't, I don't know. Um, Bing was a credited character playing in one of the Roadhouse bands, apparently, you know, oh, wow. in an earlier episode. Oh, that's funny. Um, and then just silent shot of the double R with music for the, for the whole time. Yep. The only reason I th- wanted in any way to mention the song Sleepwalk, not songs, there's no singing, but the instrumental track Sleepwalk that was playing without any firm conclusions at all, I wanted to just bring up the notion of sleeping and dreams. You know, in the original run of Twin Peaks, especially if you can sort of try and put yourself in the mind of watching it before the existence of the entire run of Twin Peaks and Firewalk with me and season three, Mm -hmm. a lot of what we refer to as being in the red room was sort of thought of as like Cooper's dream. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, I think that's what the weird German title of maybe episode three. Yeah. And you know, like the tracks that play in association with who people now call the man from another place. He was originally referred to as the dream man by Angela Badlamenti, like Mm. all of that stuff. And over time, obviously over the course of the run of Twin Peaks and the film, that stuff got very much formalized into, this is a place it deals with, there's a particular mythology around it. You can go to it. Like this season explicitly has human bodies pop in and out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like it is very, but, but you know, for a while in Twin Peaks, that stuff was the province of, a more subjective kind of dream reality. Mm-hmm. And I I, uh, I just wanted to bring that up in the context, not I guess not in this context, but just that song, that music being called Sleepwalk just reminds me, oh, right, that that is something that was a sort of foundational part of Twin Peaks and is, I think, just worth keeping in mind as we have this character, Cooper, as Dougie, sort of existing almost yep. himself in a waking dream state. Um, yep. And, th- and that's all I really wanted to say about that. There was a good post on the Idol forums on last week's episode sort of postulating that everything that Cooper is going through right now could, in fact, be more explicitly an actual dream state, which is very mm-hmm. much related to Mike screaming at him. Screaming, like, wake Don't up. die. Wake yep. up. Wake up. Which I thought was compelling. And so if you want to go, I mean, in general, the Idol forums have a lot of great discussion on them yep. um, for the in the Twin Peaks rewatch subforum. Um, I just wanted to bring that up as a general sort of thing yep. in my brain. I'm increasingly of the belief that the Cooper-Dougie stuff is tangibly taking place in our world. But what, I think so, too. Like I think the, that is the, I, I the The room key dropping on Ben yeah. Horn's desk this week, I think, was yeah, like I agree. cemented all of this as taking place inside of one spatial reality. But that doesn't mean the sort of just metaphorically and aesthetically right. the Dougie Ex- stuff exactly. is, isn't. Yes. That's why that's why I'm not going to like read that whole theory of verbatim. But I, it's not so much that yeah. I think that he actually yeah. is literally in a dream. I just but I think that in how we think about it can be the, the sort of there's that. a lot of rebirth and 
sleeping and awakening both language and metaphor and, and visuals. And also the show is called Twin Peaks The Return, which could just be a marketing phrase the same way as like Mystery Science Theater 3000 The Return is the name of that new mm. season on Netflix. But it's feeling more and more like The Return is actually referring to Cooper's journey back out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which we're at the end of the show. So I will say that I, I've been hanging on to the Dougie stuff and I do really like it. But man, it is getting tough for me to not have Cooper. I mean, I talked about that in the beginning in terms of the forensic stuff, but just like we're now at a point where basically every thread in this episode made me just go, man, I wish Cooper was here. I wish yeah. Cooper was here. I wish Cooper was here for the Major Briggs stuff. I wish yeah. he was here for the yeah. investigation in the FBI. I wish he was in Twin Peaks for everything that's happening in Twin Peaks. I just wish Cooper was there. And every episode we get something that points to Cooper possibly returning to his functional self, but it never actually oh, happens. It's, it's so tough. Yeah. Diane f- saying that like the heart is missing is yeah. so true of just the show itself without without Cooper in it and I mean they're clearly aware of it and they're doing it on purpose yeah but it is tough yeah and it is above all else the thing that made me wish or makes me wish that I could just watch all of Twin Peaks season three understand the shape of what they're doing with the story and then be able to sort of process it as a complete work I'm looking forward to that so much at me this too. point me too oh my god speaking of actually being able to rewatch this show here's an email from uh, Gordon who says hi Chris and Jake Gordon a small but interesting detail I saw during the scene between Doug and Ike the Spike is that immediately after Dougie fights off Ike and Janie E is hugging Dougie in the foreground, the camera pans and a group of bystanders comes into the background. One of these men, an older white man, black suit, white shirt, red tie, enters the scene from behind a sculpture and walks into the center of the screen. He is missing his left arm. Whoa! I didn't catch it on my first viewing, but on the second time, I was amazed. I hadn't. I was amazed I hadn't noticed it. He walks right into the middle of the scene, windowed by Dougie and Janie E looking at each other. Considering the pop-up appearance of the arm moments earlier, it's hard not to see this as intentional. Best, hmm. Gordon. Crazy. Yeah. Lots, lots to notice. Yeah. This episode felt more than many since the beginning of the season, like it was Frost and Lynch both going nuts aggressively. And that email, well... Not the most potent example of that is kind of an example of that. Mm-hmm. Just like, uh, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. I, enjoy, I enjoyed this episode of Twin Peaks other than the hole in the heart. Um, have you got any more emails? Uh, one more, actually. Okay. That <clears throat> This is the other point by Filmy Girl who wrote in about the Mad Men thing. Okay. And this sort of relates to what we've been talking about, I think. She says, this current season seems almost designed to resist the kind of trite play-by-play recapping you see on so many websites. How do you think it affects the overall understanding of the show, if at all, to try and read everything extremely literally, knowing that Lynch specializes in dream logic and the uncanny? It's tough. I'll say doing a podcast about this season is is really tough. Yep. I think, I mean, we talk about trying to resist speculation, and I... and. You have to just you have to just draw the line between trying to spin out theories and assuming that if this this means this, then therefore maybe this will happen. And instead, just talking about what you have and being comfortable with each week, we're just going to spend an hour in in the unknown and not and I don't know you I, I don't know yeah no I, I it's true and it's it's weird having Twin Peaks exist in the era of internet recap culture, which is absolutely a massive massive presence in the world of television appreciation yep. and dispersal you know i mean it's every every show that has any appreciable fan base at all at this point has an entire little cottage industry of recapping yeah. spanning amateurs like us to um prof- you know uh, major newspapers yep. uh, every week and it is it is established itself as i think the default way to disseminate criticism of television and that yeah, it's, it's, sort of... it's one of those things that happens regardless of whether it's appropriate for the show or not, because it's just how television is received now, at least in the context of published writing. Yep. And so it's going to happen with this show as any other. And who knows if that even makes any sense with this show? It's yeah, it's it's been interesting because, I mean, our show is named Twin Peaks Rewatch. We started this as a rewatch show. We started it as yeah. a show built to discuss a television program and movie that had been out in the world for years and we were going to reevaluate it and sort of rewatch it for ourselves knowing everything that's been out there mm-hmm. and that was such a different mode to be in yeah. than this one where we're watching yeah, I just feel, we're being drip fed yeah. a complete work and not being able to 
see the entire the entire shape of it and not having context. It, when when we did the original run, I did not feel like a sort of modern television recapper. Yeah, doing this, I absolutely do. Yeah, it's a really different. It's a really really different mind space. Yep. Yeah. It's fun to do, but it, totally it, it, I feel like we're doing the show a disservice and being irresponsible to the people who are watching it when we go so far out on a limb and try to act like sages who can tell people what anything means. <laughs> because I feel like in all honesty, no one knows what yeah, any of this stuff, true. Yeah, where it's going course. and you know which things are a big deal, which things are a small deal. You just can't, you know, some people obviously are doing a better job at being sort of uh, prognosticators than right. than others, but... I mean, I also have fairly little interest in prognosticating. No, what's interesting to me is talking about just the experience of watching the show and sort of how things struck me as they as they happened and what came to mind at the time Mm -hmm. and not being able to look forward because we're just going to get proven wrong over and over again. Yep. On that, (laughs) thank you for joining us again on Twin Peaks Rewatch. I'm sorry this episode went so long. Don't apologize. I guess there was a lot to talk about. Uh, I'm sure that will not stop it being the case. Uh, please join us next week as we discuss part eight of The Return. If you like this show, if it's been enjoyable for you to follow along with the new season of Twin Peaks, tell a friend. Um, if you liked our rewatch of the original series, um, pass that along too. It means a lot to us when you do. Uh, if you found us through YouTube, thanks for checking us out there. That's a whole new audience for us. Um, we're on iTunes. We're everywhere else. Our website is TwinPeaksRewatch.com. You can send us email at twinpeaks at idlethumbs.net. And that's that. For Idle Thumbs, I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.